We see a young man, dressed in a suit, long black coat, or long brown coat, with a patterned vest underneath, and a bow tie to match the coat. His hair is slicked to one side, and he's pacing his way through a a crowded train station in Cleveland, Ohio. The year is 1931. A young woman, dressed in a blue dress with black hat, walks beside him, searching her purse for this young man's ticket. And he can lift anything, anything at all. He's that strong. We hear the young man exclaim as he describes a character to, this female, to his female counterpart. Joe Schuster, will you stop it or you'll miss your train. Now help me find number five. The lady exclaims as she herself and Joe continue their walk through the crowd to Cleveland train station. Strong by day. Strong. But by day, he's a mild-mannered reporter. Glasses. You know, a secret identity. Joe continues to describe his character to the lady walking with him. She giggles. Honestly, you Canadian kids. At that, Joe dances around her, avoiding the other passengers looking for their train. He'd be in this cape. The lady looks at Joe confused. A what? She asks, and Joe in his excitement replies, A cape, wearing these blue tights. Baffled by what she's just heard, she responds with, A hero in tights? Really? Here it is. Making reference to the train that they have just spotted being the one that they're looking for. Listen, Lois, this guy is faster than anything. I swear. Joe again paces around Lois. Lois, with a smile on her face, raises her hand and points her two fingers at Joe like a gun. If you're not fast, you're going to miss your train. Joe, in all his excitement, points to the fake gun that Lois is pointing at him. That's it, a bullet. A bullet. He's faster than you know. He's faster than a speeding bullet. Joe enters the train and finds a place to sit as Lois continues to speak to him through the window. Come on, get on it. No one's going to read a comic strip about a strong man in tights, Joel. It'll never fly. With what? With that, we see Joe at the end, both hands raised out of the window. Fly, no, but he can leap over tall buildings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lois hands Joe his ticket through the window and turns back saying, See what your cousin says in Toronto. Wait, wait, Lois. Lois turns back to the train. I've got something for you. Joe reaches to the inside of his pocket and pulls out a folded pieces of paper, which he hands to Lois. Take it. It's a gift. You never know. It might be worth something someday. As the train starts to pull away, Lois stands unfolding the piece of paper she has just received from Joe. On it is a sketch of a man with dark hair and a curl coming down from the center. A long billowing cape flows in the wind. The man stands with his hands on his hips and on his chest is a shield with a large S in the middle. Isn't he great or what? Bye-bye, Lois. What I've just described to you guys was a commercial that as a kid I waited for every Saturday morning between cartoons. It was called a Heritage Minute and they were clips of historical events that happened in Canada or were about Canadian people who had succeeded in something big. The Canadian mentioned here is Mr. Joseph Schuster, half of the team who created the first real superhero. Between Mr. Joe Schuster and Mr. Jerry Siegel, we were given the character who would become the staple of what a superhero should be. We were given the first hero in comics to ever try and uphold truth, justice, and the American way. And he wasn't even from their country or their planet. They're the reason we know the line. It's a bird! It's a plane! Yes, babblers, this week we discuss the true blue Boy Scout himself.
Superman. So before we get into Clark Kent and his history, I'm just going to break down why I chose to do an exuberant run on DC Comics. As a kid, everyone and everything was in and about Marvel. And yes, I was one of those kids, I, I will not lie. But I also grew up with a dad who was a huge fan of DC Comics. Um, as a kid, I had a subscription to uh, DC Junior, which was a magazine for kids that showed all the great superheroes from DC. I was the right age when Michael Keaton's Batman was on the big screen. I was the perfect age when Batman the Animated Series premiered, not to mention the countless Adam West and Burt Ward Batman and Robin reruns which were on TV at the time. And forgive me for saying it, because I know most people disagree, because he's so unrelatable, but for the longest time, Soups was my hero. Because when I was 8, WB, so Warner Brothers, and DC announced a live-action Superman show called Lois and Clark. Featuring the beautiful Terry Hatcher as Lois, and the one and only Dean, Cl Dean Kane as Clark Kent, or Superman. Yes, Marvel was all around us with the cartoons, but DC was everywhere too. I know in the world of comics, DC fans are usually the outcasts, and I'm not here to change your mind or battle your opinion about how you feel towards either company. But, if you're willing to listen to the history of these characters, you might see that Soups is more than just a crazy overpowered alien, and that Bruce is more than just a rich orphan. I hope to shed a little light on these characters who might get overlooked, so please just give it a chance and join me on a babble about the universe that is DC, starting with the OG himself, Superman. So hello everybody, and let me welcome you all in. This is episode one of the DC uh, run that I'm doing, and it features Superman. So two minds behind Superman, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. They did not meet until 1932 while attending high school in Glenville, Ohio. It was during this time that the two bonded over their love for fiction literature, mostly science fiction. Siegel himself had aspirations of being a writer, while Schuster had dreams of becoming an illustrator, which seemed like a match made in heaven from the start, right? In January of 1933, Siegel published a story entitled The Reign of Superman. In his own self-published magazine called Science Fiction, The Advanced Guard of Future Civilization, the main character is a bald homeless man named Bill Dunn. Dunn is tricked by an evil scientist into drinking some sort of experimental drug. The drug gives Dunn the powers of mind reading, mind control, and clairvoyance. Bill Dunn uses these powers maliciously, mostly for amusement and self-profit. That is until the drug wears off and Bill Dunn is left as a homeless vagrant all over again. So there's your first real incarnation of Superman, was in 1933 with this, you know, potion or drug that was given to a homeless man named Bill Dunn. It was at this point, though, that Siegel and Schuster decided to take their idea and try to sell it to bigger publishers as a comic strip. However, they were turned down by all the publishers, saying their ideas weren't sensational enough. This prompted Siegel to go back to a Superman that he had created not long ago. He decided to turn Superman into a comic strip, and also in the process, decide to give him new powers. The powers this new character would receive were the powers of 
superhuman strength, and bulletproof skin. Also, this new version of Superman would become a crime-fighting hero and not a supervillain, because Jerry noticed that comic strips with heroes tended to sell better than comic strips written from the villain's perspective. In later years, Siegel would recall that at points, this version of Superman wore a bat-like cape in some panels, but typically himself and Schuster agreed that there was no costume yet, and there are no apparent surviving artworks from this time, unfortunately. The two kept meeting uh, with the, their, the two kept meeting failure upon failure. It was during this time of failure that Siegel decided they had been failing because the two were so young and so unknown. Siegel decided that he would begin looking for an older, mature artist to replace Schuster. When Siegel went to Joe with this idea, Schuster grabbed the rejected Superman comic strips and burned them all, leaving only the cover. They continued collaborating on other works, but Schuster for the time was out of the development on anything that contained the title Superman. So, the man who was originally meant to draw Superman got pushed out because it was believed that the two of them were too young to make it in this new and upcoming form of media. So Jerry began writing to various artists with no luck until July of 33 when an artist by the name of Leo Omelia responded. The script for Superman had been changed by Siegel at that point. The Superman origin had changed, turning Superman into a scientist adventurer from future Earth, where humanity has naturally developed superpowers. In seconds before the... Uh, the Earth of his time is about to blow up. Superman develops a time machine and sends himself back to a more primitive time, where he decides right away to use his natural developed powers to save the people of Earth of that time by fighting crime. Leo drew up a few strips for this version of Superman and presented them to his newspaper syndicate, but they were also rejected. Amelia never sent any copies of this script to Siegel, and they have been lost to time. It's kind of sad, too. You know, there's been all these creations of Superman that we'll never see or we'll never know because, unfortunately, again, lost the time, right? In 1934, Jerry Siegel met up with artist Russell Keaton from Chicago, Illinois, and developed a new script for Superman once again. This one resembles the version of Superman that we know today with slight differences. Instead of the baby being from a different planet, he is from Earth, and he is sent into the past by his father, a scientist. He lands in the year of 1935 on a highway where he is found by Sam and Molly Kent, who give him to an orphanage. But the nurses at the orphanage have a hard time handling the new youngin' as he has superhuman strength and his skin is impenetrable. The Kents decide to adopt him and name him Clark. They tell him he must use his gifts for the betterment of, of mankind. The script kept expanding and developing, and Keaton ended up developing two weeks worth of comic strips for this version of Superman. In November of 34, Keaton showed his comic strips to a newspaper syndicate who likewise turned down the idea, and Keaton, like Amelia, abandoned the project too. <coughs> That's four, three different versions of Superman that were rejected. You know, it never came to be, no matter how much the story had developed, no matter how much it had changed... It was still kind of up in the air, right? So, Jerry and Joe, fortunately, reconciled and resumed working on Superman together. They revamped the origin story for Supes, making the version we know today. 
Krypton explodes. Baby Kal-El is sent to Earth, discovered by Martha and Jonathan Kent, raised in Smallville, Kansas, on a farm, named Clark Kent, Clark because that was Martha's maiden name, who would go on to live in Metropolis, work at the Daily Planet, and become the hero wearing the S on his chest known as Superman. But it wouldn't be until June of 1938 when Jerry Siegel had a three-way telephone conversation between himself, Jack Lebowitz, and a worker from Kluwer Newspaper Syndicate named Max Gaines. After this meeting, Max Gaines approached Siegel and explained that McClure had turned down the idea, but Gaines asked if it would be alright if he forwarded the strip to Lebowitz himself to see if he would be willing to publish Superman in his upcoming magazine, Action Comics. Siegel, of course, agreed. Lebowitz and his people got the comic and were the first to be thoroughly impressed with what Siegel and Schuster had created. At this point, Lebowitz asked the boys to develop a 13-page strip for Action Comics. Both Siegel and Schuster had grown very tired of being rejected, and they accepted the offer with no hesitation. In late February, Jerry and Joe had submitted their strips for Superman in Action Comics No. 1. They were paid $130, which is the equivalent to $2,390 in 2020. It basically worked out to $10 a page. In early March of that year, both Siegel and Schuster signed a contract with Lebowitz in which they sold the copyright of Superman to Detective Comics Incorporated. This was the norm for business back then. Siegel and Schuster had also sold away the copyright on their other projects. The revised version of Superman that Jerry and Joe had created was published in Action Comics No. 1, which was published April 18, 1938, but has a cover date of June 1938. It is now the most expensive comic. The last known copy that was sold, sold for $3.2 million. It was graded at a 9.0 and was bought by a man on the day of its release in 1938. He lived in the higher altitudes of West Virginia, where he kept the comic stored with other magazines. Due to the dark, cold, cool, dry conditions, uh, the wear and age of the comic is basically unnoticed. When the original buyer passed away, Darren Adams, a comic book store owner, was called and purchased it. He later sold it on eBay for $3.2 million mentioned to two more comic book store owners. They purchased it believing the value would continue to rise. Here's the thing, guys. This is how quick this changed. When I was writing this, and I've been writing the, the, the script for about a week now. When I was writing this, I checked today just to see, and um, I found this. Uh, so... As I was doing research for this, it was brought to my attention that the above issue, which I just mentioned, lost its number one place for most expensive comic this year. On April 6th, 2021, ComicConnect.com released a statement that the issue of Action Comics number one had just sold, narrowly breaking the record at $3.25 million. The seller purchased the comic in 2018 for $2 million originally. That's crazy. I know that the um, the most expensive is Action Comics. The third most expensive is the introduction to Spider-Man, so Spider-Man's first appearance. And the second is, I can't remember if it's the Fantastic Four or the Hulk. I can't remember what it is. But to think that the two most expensive comics in the world 
belongs to Action Comics number one, which is the original feature of Superman. What's crazy about this is that there are only known to be 80 to 100 still left in existence. Now that sounds like a lot, but how many of them are still in conditions where you can read them? Because remember, they only wrote 13 pages in a 25-page magazine. Excuse me, sorry. Which is usually what uh, comics run at. They go from anywhere from 1 to 35 pages, I'd say, in a regular standard issue. But back then, because it was in a magazine, um, just like any other magazine, they were divided into segments, right? And different chapters. So Superman was the first appearance. It was the first time he was featured. It was the mo. It was the fastest selling magazine at the time because of this new superhero, right? So, first in comics, we have the golden age of comics, which is the period between 1938 when Superman was first published. The end date is a little harder to nail down, but most agree that by the mid 50s, so 1955, the silver age of comics had begun. So I mention this because the golden age of Superman uh, were what we call, or what I call, most fans call, the campy years. Uh, I like to call them this because this is where the Boy Scout and genuine nice guy comes into play. It was during this time that Superman was taking on crime lords, mafia, gangsters, corrupt politicians, Nazis, and the like, while also saving cats from trees. For much of this era, although they had sold the rights Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster were very much involved in the development of the character. But it wasn't long before there appeared to be more writers and artists coming in and doing more with Superman. So the Silver Age of Comics comes along, and what an age of comics it was. This is when things started to get a little more confusing. And even as I wrote this, and I know the history of it, it was confusing for me rereading this. Uh, the Silver Age was the time when the multiverse was being created. Meaning on one Earth, you would have one version of Superman, and then on another Earth, you would have another, and on another, ver on another Earth, you would have another, and so on and so forth. This version of Superman from the Silver Age is from a planet of the multi -earth multiverse called Earth-1. It was decided by publishers of DC that the comics of Superman developed between 1938 to 1955, were about a Superman from a planet called Earth-2. However, because there were so many comics out at the time that involved or featured Superman, it was really hard to tell the difference between one version or the other. It was easier when Earth's one Superman was younger. There were features made of him as, you know, the baby lifting the Kent's truck on uh, the, the way out. So he was known as Super Baby. Uh, and comics later featured the adventures of Superboy, both these versions were in continuity with Superman from Earth-1. So, again, I'm sure most of you, if you guys are here, you might know a little bit about comics. But the thing about comics is, is that because there was so much development from the time they started up until now, no continuity really stayed the same. It, uh, it kind of verged and kind of missed and mashed and... That's why you ended up with so many different things for so many different characters, Superman being one of them, right? So, uh, the, the Bronze Age of comics didn't really change much for the Man of Steel. It takes place from 1970, when the Silver Age ended, to 1985. The biggest change to Superman of this time is at the end of the, Sil uh, at the, end of the Silver Age, 
the kind of depowered Superman. And during the Bronze Age, Soup still had all of the powers, but it took much more effort to use them, and he could not absorb the UV rays from our yellow sun as quickly as before. So, because Superman was so strong, they decided at this time that they would not come back a bit, which is understandable. It, it, you know, yo, he's always going to be the strongest superhero, no matter what. Um... He is the pure definition of what a superhero was meant to be back then. So, now the Bronze Age ended with a huge bang in the DC Universe. DC, in late 85, to develop a series called Crisis on Infinite Earths. And... If you watch any of the Arrowverse, you have heard this mentioned, but trust me, it's nothing like the comic. The reason for this was so that DC could bring the multiverse to an end and make one Earth with one continuity where all the heroes had one timeline. Now, I'm for sure not going to go into a big explanation on this, because I'm going to do a show about all the crises in the DC universe, but this was the big one and the first one. And as I stated, it was meant to bring the continuity of DC together. Usually when you hear DC fans talk about characters, most of us will say pre-crisis or post-crisis. It sounds funny, but it's an easy way for fans to distinguish what character we're talking about, where they were, what their powers were, how they were made, who was writing them at the time. If you're a fan, you get it. If, you know, you're just someone who likes to read comics uh, you know, a little bit, it, it wouldn't make sense to most. But... That's the way it was, right? So. So with the end of the Bronze Age of comics and the whole DC multiverse being destroyed, we went into what was dubbed the Modern Age of Comics, which went from 1985 to 2011. It ended in 2011 because of the Flashpoint Paradox, which, again, rewrote continuity for the most of everything. Uh, the modern era of Superman began with the writers getting rid of the campier elements of Superman and also reinventing many of the earlier stories. However, over the years, because so many writers had written for the comic, some reintroduced some things from previous incarnations of the Man of Steel, such as Supergirl and Crypto, the Superdog. So, now this is something I'd like to clear up with so many fans of comics. The modern era of comics also held two big stories on either side of the competition. In Marvel, we had the Clone Saga. This is the first one, so this is not the one that uh, was written in the 90s. The one written in the 90s was the Clone Saga, which featured a clone of Peter Parker himself. That was what Marvel had. And DC had... What's hanging behind me. The death of Superman. Now, what most fans forget is that the clone saga featuring Marvel's most well-known hero was actually, helped to was actually meant to help Marvel out of filing for bankruptcy. If you guys can, get chopped in here right now so that I can explain this to him so that he realizes that it wasn't DC who needed saving. It was Marvel. So... Again, Marvel's most well-known hero was actually meant to help Marvel out of filing for bankruptcy, but it didn't work. 
fans were pissed with the Clone Saga and were pissed to find out that the real Spider-Man wasn't Peter Parker. It was the clone Ben Riley, or what we thought was the clone. So much so that Marvel went back and took it out and changed all of it. Because pans were because pans because fans were so damn pissed. That's like that's how bad it was. But it seriously sent Marvel into turmoil. But on the other hand, in 1992, DC got together their writers and said, "What are we gonna do?" And as a joke, because it was always a joke to them, the writers always said, we should kill Superman. Except this time it took. The death of Superman introduced one of the most feared supervillains of DC of the time, and that is Doomsday. The one story seriously kept DC above the line for a full decade. From the death of Superman, we got the reign of Superman with Steel, Superboy, the Eradicator, and Cyborg Superman. After that, we ended. We needed someone to actually help out and get rid of these Superman. And who better than the Man of Steel himself? Out of nowhere, after being dead, the Man of Steel comes out with his black suit, silver symbol in the middle of his chest, and there he is. There he is. The Man with the Ultraviolet Suit. We find out that he slowed his heart down and he's back to kick ass one more time. Unfortunately, from there, we kind of get a little silly with Superman. And there was this silly Transform series that happened where Supes developed electrical powers and had a blue suit and harbored electrical powers, like I just said. Then he split himself in two and we got the red suit Superman. Needless to say, not everything during the 90s in Superman history was great, but it did show that Superman still had enough, enough pull in the market to keep a company going. As much as people like to think DC needed Marvel when it came to DC versus Marvel, it was actually the other way around. There was a reason Marvel was pumping out so many cartoons at the time. It was to save the company. But remember... Five, five cartoons were made. Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, Iron Man, Spider-Man, and the X-Men. Two of those shows lasted more than a year, and that was Spider-Man and X-Men. I can't go on to explain how much this bothers me, and it's not that I'm not a Marvel fan. I do, I like Marvel. I like what they do. I like some of the stuff they bring. But it's infuriating for most fans when you find out that DC was kicking ass in the 90s and was willing to help out Marvel, and yet everybody thinks that it's the other way around. DC owned comics until Marvel got the DC cinematic, or yeah, until Marvel got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And remember, Iron Man number one. Eh, I guess it's part of the cinematic universe because it, it starts the story. But it's not really until a certain point that you bring all the characters in that that really happened, right? There's a lot that people don't realize that DC was doing and making and progressing while Marvel was still trying to hang on. My opinion, but it's also written clear black and white. There's, you can't get past it. That, see that? 
that saved DC Comics. And I'm not, it didn't even save it. They were above the line in the beginning of the 90s. They did it because it was a big thing. How can you kill the strongest superhero in the world? That was, that's what they were doing, right? That's what they were talking about. That's what they wanted to do. Yet I digress, because I'm pulling away from everything now. But During the modern era, we also got the New 52, which was the biggest poop on DC Comics ever. What the editors were thinking when they revamped this continuity is beyond me. The biggest problem with this... Uh, for Superman fans was that they crapped all over the relationship between Lois and Clark and made Superman and Wonder Woman boyfriend and girlfriend. They took away the undies, though, so he didn't wear the undies over top of the, the blue tights anymore. But I get why the two strongest beings of Wonder Woman and Superman being together makes sense. But dammit, Lois and Clark have been together since 1939. You fucked it up when you did that, DC. You fucked it up. That's all I have to say. Luckily for us, we ended up with the Flashpoint Paradox and changed all of that once again. After the Flashpoint Paradox, we ended up with the Rebirth series. This got a little confusing at the beginning only because Supes ended up being a combination of two versions of Superman holding both memories from both versions. You're right, Brick. The The art was next level. It was. The stories weren't the best, though. Uh, it was strange, but in the context of the comics now, it works really well. It was during this time that we get to see Clark be a father to his son, Jonathan. John has all the same powers, and it's great to see Clark in this light after so many years. It's also an amazing twist because Bruce, Batman, is also a dad to a son named Damien. And John and Damien are featured in their own comic called Super Sons, where we get to see the next generation develop and kick ass. It's super cool to see, um, and it's really neat to see Clark as a dad. I mean, the character's been around since 1939, or 1938. Where else were we going to take him? Um, it's cool. It's a really, really neat thing to see. It's really super cool, I think, to see, uh, you know, a more relatable side to Superman, as so many people say, because he's so strong and because he's so over the board and everything that he's not relatable enough. But you give him a human characteristic like being a dad, and it makes him relatable. I uh, See, so I'm a fan of Superman. I have been since I was very little. Um... I wasn't going to share this, but uh, I guess uh, I'm kind of into it now, so I'm going to. But I have a Superman symbol tattoo on my back. Uh, it is pure black with a red lightning bolt going through it. Uh, when I was a kid, um, a very good friend of mine who ended up passing away, uh, he was over at my house one night, living in Canada. We had a big snowstorm. He ended up staying the night. We were kids, and I mean kids. Um, so he asked if I had anything to wear that I could let him wear to sleep at, at my house that night. And I said, sure. Uh, but he was also like a foot taller than me. So my clothes were tight and short on him. And, uh, I asked him how he was when he came out and he says, now I know how Superman feels. This was like a blue leotard, right? In a sense. Uh, but then he got the nickname of lightning when we were in high school. Cause he was super, super fast. Incredible. So I have this 
in honor of my friend. It's uh, Superman symbol with a red lightning bolt for him. But uh, it's Superman, guys. I mean, you can't escape what he did and what he brought for comics. Yes, I, I will never deny that he, because of his powers, because of how strong he is, because of what he does, he may not be the most relatable character ever. But he was built for a time where humans needed someone to save them from what was going on. The Great Depression was ending. They were going into World War II. So much of the world had changed by that point. They had already survived World War I and, and, you know, it ended in 1918. There was so much that when Superman was created and brought to the people, he was made to be the light. He was made to be a saving hope for everyone is what it was supposed to be. And I know now we are in a completely different uh, we are in a completely different world. We're in a completely different you know form of comics, form of everything. And uh, Superman is still good old Boy Scout Clark Kent. It is what it is, but it's what we've grown to love about the character. And for some, it's what people have grown to hate about the character. I absolutely understand and appreciate it. But you still have to respect the original for bringing what he did, for bringing what he did to comics. Now I know um, this is going to be one of those things, but I'm going to break down all the powers he has and um, show you guys kind of how they came to be in a sense. But so since the beginning, Supes has always been faster than a speeding bullet, always super strong, and it wasn't until the second radio serial, so the second radio show in 1940, that he gained the ability to fly. So two years after he was created was when he got the ability to fly, and again, it was during a, a radio show, so they used to, used to tune in on a Saturday night, and instead of watching, you know, SNL, they used to listen to the Superman serial show, which was... Uh, you know, actors acting out these little stories of these characters. So it was during that time that they introduced Superman and Flight, or Superman's Flight. He gained the ability of X-ray vision in Action Comics number 11 in 1939. And this was also when we were told that he was uh, weak to lead or that he couldn't see through lead. Um, his heat vision came in 1949 in Superman number 59. It was also in Action Comics number 11 that he developed the ability of super sensitive hearing. Uh, finally, it was 1963 Action Comics 300 that they finally revealed that Superman got all his powers from our yellow sun. Uh, there was a time where it was kind of like tossed up in between on he only got his superhuman strength from the yellow sun, the rest of it was a development thing. Um, it kind of went through the wash a whole bunch, but um, it was here that they actually uh, showed you that he got his full power and his full ability from our yellow sun because it's young, whereas his sun, which was what destroyed his planet, Krypton, um, was old and dying. It was a supernova. It was ready to go. That's the idea behind it. 
So his weaknesses have also changed over the years. There are tons of different types of kryptonite, each doing their own thing to the makeup of Clark's DNA. Most commonly known is the green kryptonite, which makes him weak and will eventually kill him. There's also red, blue, gold, white, and black, each again with their own effect. Gold permanently nullifies Soup's powers, red takes away his inhibition, and black kills him. Basically. Superman is also susceptible to magic. And I mean any form of magic. It doesn't matter if it's spells, antidotes, anything magical can be used against the Man of Steel, including enchanted weapons. So any weapons that Hawkgirl or Hawkman are going to use made of nymph metal, gonna work. Any spell that said Tanacast, gonna work. Anything that Dr. Fate does, gonna work. He is much more susceptible than we believe him to be, especially with the development over the years. There have been countless, and I mean countless, alternate versions of Superman in the comics themselves. Some of the best known are All-Star Superman, where Supes is dying of a (laughs) solar overload. Uh, In trying to save a team exploring the sun, Superman saves them by by developing the ability to project his bioelectrical aura. Don't ask. This... Save was planned by Lex Luthor, and it's discovered that Superman's new level of power is also killing him. This was written by my least favorite comic book writer, Grant Morrison, and it was not well received by fans and critics. Unpopular opinion. Grant Morrison sucks. He's horrible. I, I, I can't say enough bad things about him. I'm sorry, I, I understand if people like him, I get it, but he wrote Final Crisis, which was a knock. He wrote Batman Rest in Peace, which was ugh. All-Star Superman, it wasn't so good, and I had to convince my wife to watch the movie, and even then we watched it, and she was like, eh, it's not great in any sense of the word, but you can Check out the movie if you want. There is an animated film uh, called All-Star Superman, and you can check that out. Uh, Most people know the Superman from Injustice, the video game, and later adapted into a comic book. This Superman is tricked by the Joker into thinking Lois Lane is Doomsday, and he accidentally kills her. In his fury, he kills the Joker, lobotomy style. It gets worse, the Superman finds out Lois was pregnant when he killed her, and we see a dictator Superman take over as the world crumbles to an all-out war between Superman supporters and rebels against Superman. It's a great story, and they're supposed to be coming out with an animated series for it, which might bring a whole bunch of new people into it. Um, We also have Mark Wade and Alex Ross's Kingdom Come. Uh, so this version of Superman it's based in the future where although the superheroes still stand for truth and justice they're a little more ruthless in dealing with the bad guys Uh, Superman again still holds to the true boys to the true blue boy scout persona but he's over the top and for sure doesn't think twice about what he's doing so it's for sure a very different version of the Man of Steel himself. Uh, I really like this next version of Superman. He was featured in Final Crisis. He's been featured in a couple of the uh, the 
um, alternate universe stuff. Uh, he's really cool, and I really like him. Uh, so Earth-23 Superman is a version of the character, uh, is an awesome version of the character story. He's the first African-American version of Superman. He comes from an island on Krypton and landed on Earth in the middle of a highway. He was kind of designed to look like former President Barack Obama. His name is Calvin Ellis, and he's more than just a reporter in this version of our hero. He's actually President of the United States. So, this is a really cool version of him. Um, you know, he's he runs the U.S. He's the president. He does everything while also saving the world. It's awesome. He's such a cool take on Superman. Very, very cool in my opinion. Uh, this is a cool one too. Uh, so we have, uh, it was called Secret Identity Superman, is one of my favorites out of all of these. In this alternate version, Clark Kent exists in our world and is teased frequently for having the same name as the comic book character. He discovers he has powers like Superman and he uses them to fight for good. It's a cool look at the Man of Steel as he's a teenager and he's very inexperienced. There was nobody there to teach him. But, at least he has our comics to learn from, right? It's a really cool take. It's awesome to see how they plan this, how they moved with it. So, so cool. I can keep going on the alternate versions, but I'm going to end it with my favorite. And my favorite is Red Sun. If you see the symbol there, you might be able to figure out a little bit about what it's about. But Superman Red Son is spelt S-O-N, like a father-son. This story is what would have happened to the mythos if a young Kal-El ended up landing on a farm in Soviet Russia. This in turn makes Superman a pawn of the communists. Like the Injustice Superman, this one rules by force, fear, and strength. But where there's an alternate Superman, there's always an alternate Batman to try and keep him in check, along with an alternate Wonder Woman to help. This is a really cool take on the character because it shows just how crucial Martha and Jonathan Kent are to Superman's development as a hero with values and morals. It sounds silly when you think about it, but what happens if Stalin would have raised Superman? Who knows? You wouldn't have ended up with True Blue Boy Scout that we ended up with. You would have ended up with the Red Army. It's scary to think. I mean, you know, obviously it's not real and Superman's a fictional character, but there's now a movie based on this comic book that you can pick up and read. You do kind of learn to uh, appreciate this side of Superman. There is also a love relationship between uh, Lois and Lex in this, uh, which comes to play out really strangely. Unfortunately, and I won't give away the ending, but the ending in the comic is way different from the ending in the movie. If you have a chance to read the comic for the ending alone, it's super cool. It's super well-developed. That ending is just... mind-blowingly good. I know I do that a lot during these podcasts, but it, I have read so much comics that sometimes it, it doesn't surprise me with what they do. I mean, 
how many times can, you know, one character die and come back? Uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens in comics that we kind of laugh about and we don't really move forward with, but there's some things like alternate universe stories that happens that are just so well written and so well received that um, it really makes you take a different look at your superheroes that you love. So, so I know there are movies and TV shows and radio serials that we could jump into, but I'm going to save those for when I break down the movie universes uh, that have been done for each character. So I'm going to do Superman like I did right now, but then I'm going to go back into the movies and the TV show at a later episode once I get through a bunch of the characters in the DC realm that I want to do. So thank you, Babblers, for joining me on my first babble about the DC universe by babbling about the one and only Man of Steel, the last son of Krypton, the true blue hero, Superman. So if we started with Superman, I mean, you must know what's coming next, right? He was orphaned at the age of eight after watching his parents be killed in the back alley after an opera show. He made it a point to find out who killed his parents and to strike fear into other criminals in Gotham. He goes by many names. The Dark Knight, the detective, but we know him as... Batman. Next, we jump into the playboy billionaire, Bruce Wayne. Please join me as we walk the crime-filled streets of Gotham and jump the skyline with Batman. So until next time, babblers, please remember, Babylon.